Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. Whether you read the book or watched the movie, you probably recall a scene in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone where Harry discovers a magical mirror called the Mirror of Erised, tucked away in a dusty room. Given that Erised is desire spelled backwards, you might also remember that the mirror doesn't actually show us as we are, but instead shows the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. As Harry's parents were killed by an evil wizard when he was a baby, Before he was old enough to know them and experience being part of a family, when he looks into the mirror, he sees his parents smiling, standing right behind him with a hand on his shoulder. So he begins to visit the mirror more and more frequently, until one day the headmaster Dumbledore pays him a visit and tells him that the mirror will be moved in the morning, explaining that some have, quote, wasted away in front of it, even gone mad and he leaves Harry with the warning that, quote, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I know it's just a movie, but when it comes to goal achievement and performance, what does research say about Dumbledore's advice to Harry? Might positive thinking of this sort be less effective than we've been led to think? Whether it's planning out our weekend, thinking about an opening in an orchestra we'd love to audition for, or the kind of career we'd like to have, thinking about our future is a pretty common thing to do. And it's often suggested that envisioning our desired futures and engaging in positive thinking is essential to getting there. But researcher Gabrielle Ottingen suggests that the reality is a little more nuanced than this, that there are several different ways of thinking about our futures, and when it comes to realizing our goals, some of these ways are more effective than others. One of these ways is called indulging. This is where you envision some version of your future in which everything has worked out exactly the way you want. I know this probably sounds like a good thing, but research suggests that this actually seems to lead to a reduction in effort and motivation. Because what we're talking about here is not the structured imagery you might do to pre-experience and rehearse every moment of a performance in advance. Indulging is more like unstructured daydreaming or fantasizing 
seeing the goal already achieved minus all the obstacles that we will have to overcome to get there. Another way of thinking about our future is known as dwelling. It's kind of like the opposite of indulging, in that this is where you focus on just the obstacles in your way, and all the reasons why you won't or can't achieve your goals. A third way is known as reverse contrasting, which is like a combination of dwelling and indulging. You start by elaborating on all the obstacles in your way, but then you imagine the future in which you've gotten past all these hurdles. And while this sounds like a more productive way to visualize one's future, for whatever reason, it hasn't been found to be as effective as the next way of thinking about your future. Mental contrasting involves imagining your desired future first, and then all the potential obstacles in your way. There's something about this sequence of thinking that seems to be important, because studies have found this to increase motivation and effort, and ultimately, the likelihood of achieving your goals. That said, the kind of areas in which this has been studied, like dieting, exercising, time management, academic performance, and even managing one's diabetes, are rather different sorts of challenges than winning an audition or competition. So could mental contrasting help with performance-oriented goals too? A team of researchers recruited 67 competitive ballroom dancing couples to see if A, there was any difference in the use of mental contrasting between the higher-ranked and lower-ranked teams, and B, if mental contrasting was linked to any difference in performance. All 134 athletes completed a short survey before an upcoming competition and were asked two main questions. First, they were asked what score they hoped to get at the competition, as well as how likely they thought they were to get the score, and how important it was to them that they get that score. Next, they were asked to identify one training wish and one competition wish. As in, what is your wish for this upcoming training or practice session? And then they were asked to elaborate on their wish with the instructions now we would like you to think about your training-related wish. Think about anything related to your wish and let your mind go. Please write down your thoughts and images. The idea was to keep these questions really open-ended so that they could see which athletes or couples would naturally use mental contrasting and which ones would instead engage in indulging, dwelling, or reverse contrasting. Based on the athletes' responses, the researchers gave each couple a mental contrasting score from 0 to 4, where 0 means neither partner did any mental contrasting for either the training goal or the competition goal, and 4 meaning both partners did mental contrasting for both the training and competition goals. And what did mental contrasting look like in this context? Well, one athlete said, during training, my wish is to be as consistent as possible physically, wish, regardless of my emotional state, obstacle. Every day needs to be some sort of improvement, wish, even if it is pure repetition, obstacle. That might seem like a pretty natural way to think, but it wasn't necessarily the norm. Others engaged in reverse contrasting with statements like, results between us have not been great since we started, obstacle and we hope to see improvement with each competition we attend, wish. And there is also some indulging, like, my goal is to deeply focus and feel secure, confident, and engaged, wish. A nice balance of continual conversation of bodies working together, wish. To work hard but not have it feel like hard work, wish. 
and dwelling. If partner gets stressed out easily, obstacle, or does not have the same goals, obstacle, then the training process becomes challenging, obstacle. So, was there any difference in the thinking habits of the higher-ranked and lower-ranked competitors? Well, indeed there was. The higher-ranked couples engaged in much more mental contrasting than the lower-ranked couples. While 85.7% of the higher-performing couples had at least one athlete engage in mental contrasting for at least one goal, only 6.3% of the lower-performing couples had one athlete engage in mental contrasting for at least one goal. And that's certainly pretty interesting. But more importantly, was this related to any difference in actual competition performance? Well, there are actually so few lower-performing couples who did any mental contrasting that the researchers looked at performance differences just among the higher-ranked couples. And as you've probably already guessed, the more mental contrasting the athletes did, the better they tended to perform in competition. So what does this all mean? I guess the short answer is that Dumbledore seems to have been onto something. Essentially, that having goals and clarity about what we'd like our futures to look like is fine and dandy. But if we hang out in this imaginary future and skip over the somewhat less pleasant part of acknowledging the obstacles in the way, we're not going to be as well equipped to act effectively on these challenges. So for the next week, consider practicing the habit of forming a goal for your next practice session and pairing that goal with some challenges that you expect to face. Whether the obstacle is fatigue, frustration, overwhelm, or boredom, see if knowing what to expect makes it easier to push through or around the challenge and turn it into one of those tough but ultimately satisfying practice sessions that makes it feel like you've made some real progress and have maybe even earned yourself a movie night. You can find links to this week's study and other resources like practice hacks and the audition cheat sheet at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found the episode helpful, please share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think might also enjoy experimenting with this during the coming week. 